0: You know, uh, as you guys uh, are aware, you know, I've been married for about a year and a half. And I, I, as much as I'm still trying to catch uh, my breath at times and find a spiritual rhythm uh, as a married man, because it's very different when you're single. It's it's still 24 hours in a day, but it just seems to... uh, It seems to be a a little more slippery (laughs) 24 hours uh, than it used to be. And my wife has been uh, uh, such uh, a wonderful gift from the Lord. Um, You know, when God saw Adam in the garden, there was no sin, and yet God looked at him and said, it is not good for man to be alone. I shall make him a suitable helper. And uh, my wife has been Abundantly more than that, but that surely is an adequate description of who she is. Uh, I just want to, I just want to, uh, I just want to uh, introduce her as she comes up here because she wants to uh, pray for me and she wants to share a song with you all. Uh, some of you may know that um, she is uh, a worship director uh, at a church in Atlanta, Georgia, and. Uh, She's also a jazz vocalist, so uh, you could categorize her as a professional singer. But the funny thing is, I didn't know she could sing until our fifth date. <laughs> it took like five or six days to realize uh, she's an incredible singer. And I had to find out from a mutual friend of ours that, um, that shamed me and chastised me for not knowing that she's an incredible singer. But baby, uh, here you go. Let's give her a hand, let's give my wife a hand. Praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah never, get, um, never get sick of uh, hearing her pray for me and, and sing over me. Because um, there's a passage in Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 17, that talks about the Lord um, sings over, the, over us and quiets us with His love. Um, and I, I needed to be quieted and, and silenced before... I preach the word, so thank you for um, welcoming my my wife and and, and sharing this grace. Uh, tonight <clears throat> we're gonna be we're gonna remain in the Gospel of Luke. Um, I was a little torn on where to go tonight, which direction. Uh, if I'm gonna be totally transparent, um, I don't mean to deviate from the theme by any means, but. I wanted to share this passage with you guys in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 7, because um, it, it, it means so much to me. The magnitude and the depth, um, and, and if, if I may add, the brilliance of this parable uh, has, has reached my heart and reached me in, uh, in untold ways. Uh, when I think about uh, my salvation, and I think about how Christ sought me when a stranger, uh, as, has radically transformed the way I share my testimony, uh, the way I see my testimony, the way I know my testimony. Uh, so, if you would turn to me in Luke, uh, t- turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Okay. Now, um, that's going to be our main passage today, but I wanted to give you something really quick before we jump into uh, Luke chapter 15, um, because I just want to speak to the people in this room who are dry and bored. I'm trying to answer the question before we get into Luke 15, like, what do I do uh, what are we to do? What am I to do when we no longer desire God? Right? I, I, I don't know. Maybe some of you guys just are not feeling it, right? This retreat is just another uh, check-in-the-box or another summer retreat. Uh, it feels trite and hollow and pointless. And I want to sympathize with you, and I don't want to, for you to feel ashamed of that. Uh, there are seasons where I feel that way too. So what are we to do when we no longer desire God? Uh, what should I do if I don't desire God anymore? Uh, John Piper wrote a whole, whole book on that, right? After he wrote Desiring God, uh, many years later he wrote um, uh, When I Don't Desire God. Um, but these are the times where we need to cling to Christ and, 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 and the work of the gospel even more. Uh, There's a passage in Matthew chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, if you want to, that's fine, but you don't have to. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 3 that I think uh, would speak into the people in this room who um, may not feel like praying tonight, or may not feel like uh, joining us in in singing and uh, in worship. And that's okay, you know, I just want to share this passage with you. Uh, In verse 13 of Matthew 3, uh, Matthew 3.13, it says that uh, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Some of you know that uh, John is Jesus' cousin. Uh, where I'm from, um, we say Kazo. Right? I call my cousin Kazo. And so Jesus rolls up on his Kazo or cousin, um, and in, in verse 14, John uh, would have prevented Jesus, right? He's like, I'm not going to baptize you. Uh, he says... I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Right? But Jesus answered John, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Let me read that again. Jesus says to him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. This must have been a powerful statement for John to submit and consent, right? Verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. My dear friends and family, if you are in Christ tonight, No matter what spiritual condition you are in, the Father says, this is my child. This is my son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. I love him. You know, I've been to many uh, football games and soccer games and volleyball games just to support my youth group students. And sometimes, oh, not sometimes, many times, there are parents in the stands. Right? And sometimes they give you obnoxious. And when the, when 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 their son or daughter uh, makes a goal or scores a touchdown or makes a basket, the father or the mother will stand up and say, "That's my son, right? That's my son. That's my boy. That's my girl, right?" Um, but I've never seen a parent stand up uh, when their son fumbles <laughs> or their son scores <laughs> scores a basket in the wrong goal, <laughs> you know, or, or or does something, right, Um, makes a blunder. I've never seen a parent uh, nevertheless stand up and say, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my girl, that's my man, right? I've never seen that. But according to this passage, even in our darkness, even in our lowest point, uh, no matter what kind of spiritual condition you may be in, no matter how fervent or non-fervent you may be, The father sees the son, sees your faith in the son. And he says, that's my boy, that's my girl, that's my son. You know, it is bewildering, it is astonishing, it is nuts. that even when you fall in lust, in perversion, in bitterness and anger, or just apathy and spiritual indifference, the Father still sees you and says, that's my son, that's my girl, I'm proud of you, I love you. You are the one whom Jesus loves. I want you guys to understand that, because in this passage, Jesus did something incredibly important. In verse 15, um, after John is like, no, I can't baptize you, Jesus. You need to baptize me. I'm not worthy, right? And they argue back and forth. And then Jesus is like, child, please. (laughs) I must fulfill all righteousness, right? He says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, you got to think about that for a second. Whose righteousness was Christ fulfilling? His righteousness cannot be any fuller, (laughs) right? Right? So whose righteousness is Jesus referring to? It couldn't be his own. I just want to read this really quick, okay? Um, about about our, our standing in Christ. And um, I know the last night we spent a lot of time in prayer. That ain't no secret, right? And I want us to think about this as we enter the prayer time, okay? Uh, it's a guy named J.D. Greer, and he wrote, uh, an ex- he, he wrote, I want to share his ex- excerpt. Uh, from a book that he wrote called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. (laughs) The book's called Stop Asking Jesus um, Into Your Heart. It's a pretty good book. Uh, He says that during my freshman year of college, as I scoured the Bible to determine what qualified as real repentance, I could not escape the questions, how could I ever repent enough to be truly worthy of Jesus? How could I ever give a sufficient response to his lordship? How could I ever be sorry enough for my sin? I'm going to pause right there. That's an Asian struggle, right? How can I be sorry enough for my sin? How do I know that I really love God? That's what he's saying. So I'm going to keep reading. Even, he says, Even my best repentance, my fullest surrender, was a far cry from what was due unto Jesus. I knew God could never look at me and say, your repentance was perfect. You were sorry enough for your sin. You gave due weight to my glory. That thought kept me from peace, J.D. Greer says. But then I came across N.T. Wright's explanation of the odd little story of Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. John, was, John the Baptist was offering a baptism of repentance. Jews, Roman soldiers, and sinners of all stripes were coming to him to be baptized, repenting of their sins. As they were baptized, symbolizing their repentance toward God, John would command them, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Well, as we know, I'll fast forward a little bit. Jesus steps to him, and then John objected. And he says, why do you need to undergo a baptism of repentance? So Jesus was in line for a baptism of repentance. What does he have to repent of, right? Uh, He had never sinned. Jesus told John, however, not to resist him, for he was doing it to, quote, unquote, fulfill all righteousness. Whose righteousness would that baptism fulfill? Jesus' righteousness was already fulfilled and could not be any fuller. He says, it was my righteousness Christ was fulfilling in the Jordan River. He was undergoing a baptism of repentance in my place. Repenting in a way that could truly be called righteous. So that his death could be a perfect substitute for mine. Jesus lived a life I should have lived. All of it. He did everything perfectly in my place. So the good news for me and for us is that I don't have to repent perfectly because Jesus did it for me. As the Puritans used to say, even our tears of repentance must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. This does not negate that when we come to Christ, there must be a recognition of and submissiveness toward His Lordship. It simply takes off of us the weight of feeling like we have to repent perfectly in a way that earns His approval. Jesus earned it. Believe that and submit to it. End of quote. Guys, what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is that no matter how much contrition we feel, no matter how much sorrow we feel as we lament and regret our sin, It is not good enough. I am so wicked and decrepit that my repentance needs repentance. (laughs) Like the way I repent is insufficient. It's inadequate. That's how impossible my salvation is. It was so impossible, only Jesus could fulfill it. So the weight is off. The weight has been lifted, right? The pressure is off. You don't have to repent perfectly tonight. You don't have to worry about like, did I have snot bubbles going? <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, maybe you're past that, you're out of youth group and all that. But you don't have to. You don't have to repent in a melodramatic way. You have to be, um, you know, like ashes and sackcloth and all that. It doesn't have to be that way. You can be radically honest to God, because Jesus repented in your place. So Jesus. I'm sorry, the, God the Father receives your repentance tonight, not because it's worthy or s- substantive, because Jesus repented in your place in Matthew 3. So you can come as you are. Right? You can come as you are. And this is good news today, as we look at Luke chapter 15, because Jesus also talks about repentance in this passage, in Luke chapter 15. And, uh, you know, I shared a lot of things about parables um, this morning. Uh, but another thing that I really enjoy about parables is that um, usually when, uh, when I was a kid, usually when the teacher said, it's story time, boys and girls, I said, yeah, right? It's story time. But it's a different story with Jesus. When Jesus says, boys and girls, it's story time, all the boys and girls will look at each other and say, which one of y'all messed up? <laughs> Who done did it? Because oftentimes when Jesus tells a parable or a story time, you're in trouble. <laughs> we're in trouble, right? So let's look at this passage. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Remember, Jesus is the most holy, and yet he is the most approachable. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled or muttered under their breath, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I want you to notice the distance they create with the statement, This man. (laughs) They don't even call him uh, by his name or, or by a title. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and the scribes want to distance themselves from sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And so he told them this parable because they're in trouble. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99, in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, come party, for I have found my sheep that was lost. He snapped back to reality in verse 7, and Jesus says, Just so, or likewise, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What a story. What a warning. What a savior. He says that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Wow. Wow. Guys, I know... um, this is a familiar text, but uh, let's, let's ask God very quickly to open up our eyes, to give us ears to hear and eyes to see this text anew. So I'm going to pray very quickly for us. Holy Spirit, please help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We just need help with this one. Okay? All right. So, as we see in the story, the primary audience are um, sinners, of all kinds, tax collectors specifically, and there are Pharisees. So you could call it that the, that the audience are like church folk and unchurch folk. You could you could put it that way. You, you could call it uh, clean and unclean, or you could put it like this: achievers and and underachievers. Right? You could think of it like that. Right? So the crowd is split in two, and of course the church people are. Are disappointed that Jesus eats with detestable people. You know, I I used to visit this guy in prison every week, and um, and there were some church people that had the audacity to ask me, "Why do you waste your time visiting him?" We 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 already heard a sermon about self righteousness, but um, this is something that continues to plague. Uh, the religious. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that of all evil men, of all kinds of evil men, he said religious ones are the worst. That's what C.S. Lewis said. He said of all kinds of evil men, he said religious ones are the worst. And I, I, I'm pretty sure um, C.S. Lewis agrees with Jesus. Right? And so he tells a story about hundred, uh, about a hundred sheep, and one gets lost. We, we've heard this story before. And, um, and I think one thing that we have to understand about this story, the main idea I want you to understand about this parable, according to Christ, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, worth, we all want to feel worth, we all want to feel weighty, right? Uh, worth, beauty, and value, are not determined by an innate quality or by your performance, okay? Your worth, your beauty, your value are not determined by your performance or your GPA or your moral record. But according to the story, your worth, your value, is determined by the heart-wrenching length, the distance, your owner would go to redeem you, to reclaim you. That determines your worth. Like for instance, we all want to know what we're worth. Okay, we like the fours, 500 and all these things that list rich people and how much they're worth, right? We, we all want to know how much we're worth. Even in social media with followers, right? we all want to know what is, my, what is my worth? Why do I matter? And according to God, um, when you ask the question, why am I worth anything? Why do I matter? How do I justify my existence? Jesus would say because somebody loves you, right? Somebody loves you. I had a friend, um, he, his father passed away uh, when he was a young boy, and his father gave him this uh, little necklace. And while we were playing basketball, my buddy, uh, he lost that necklace. So I guess somebody uh, yanked it by mistake, or it just fell off, and he lost this necklace. And, um, and he was looking for this necklace while it was getting dark. Okay, the sun was setting, and he was looking for this necklace. I didn't know who it came from. I didn't know what it meant to him. So I just told my friend, his name was, his name, his, we'll just call him Henry. Um, I told Henry, I said, man, I'll buy you a new one, okay? I'm hungry, let's go eat, right? Let's go to Golden Corral, right? I'm hungry. We're done playing basketball, I want to go eat. But he said, go without me. I have to find this necklace. And he searched for it all night. See, to me, that necklace was worth nothing. It's cheap. I feel like it's replaceable. It's not indispensable. But for him, it meant the world. Because it was given to him by someone he loves. And so God is showing us something about his heart for the lost. That he loves the sinner. That Jesus is a friend of sinner. But the irony of the story is that everybody in the room, everybody within ears or listening distance, is lost. Everybody in that room is lost. But not everybody knows it. All of, many of them were oblivious to how lost they were. Okay. They were in denial. And we talked about denial today in the, in the seminar on anger, right? You know, I have worked with uh, drug addicts. And, and, you know, I I know that my wife has watched me work with some drug addicts, substance uh, abusers. And there comes a point when you're working with drug addicts or, quote, unquote, lost people. And then when they're in this, this cycle of denial, you get to a place where you look at them and you say, you don't even deserve to know what's wrong with you. You don't even deserve to know what's wrong with you. The fact that Jesus is showing everyone that they are the lost sheep and revealing even to the religious and the church and the most prestigious men of the church that they are lost is an act of grace. The fact that you are hearing this sermon tonight or you get to read the Bible is an act of grace that we get to be told, we get to be offended by the gospel. That we are all this lost sheep I, I'm sure we all concur, yes, I am that lost sheep, but who really heard this? who really heard that? you know one one of um, one one of the things that I was taught before I met Christ before I really understood the gospel is that God helps those who help themselves. you ever heard that statement? God helps those who help themselves, so like If I take one step, then God takes two, right? If I take two steps, God takes four. You get the picture, right? Multiplication, right? So God, if I scratch God's back, he scratches my back. But Jesus came on the scene and told this parable, and he claims that, no, God does not help those who help themselves. God only helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who are helpless. He does not help those who are self-sufficient or who are okay or have it all together. Listen to what Scotty Smith said in a book. And this is frightening. Please hear him out. He said, Prodigals on an island of self-sufficiency are harder to reach than prodigals on a hedonistic holiday. Listen to what he says again. Prodigals on an island of self-sufficiency are often harder to reach than prodigals on a hedonistic holiday. A few verses after this parable, guess which parable comes up? The parable of the prodigal son that 's not a coincidence guys i 'm getting to know you, I care about you, I hope you care about me. you know, I want you guys to understand that the goal of the gospel, the goal of the good news is not to get you out of hell it 's not fire insurance, okay The goal of the gospel is not to get you just get you into heaven because i 've asked many people. Do you want to go to heaven? Like when I evangelize, I ask them, Do you want to go to heaven? And everybody says they want to go to heaven. But not everybody wants to see God when they get there. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But not everybody wants to die. There are some people, if they go to heaven, and and they have their favorite friends, favorite family members, favorite foods, and favorite festivities, they'll be happy. And if you ask them, would you be satisfied if God is not there? They'd be like, yeah. Yeah. You know what the goal of this gospel is? It's to get you to God. And that's what Jesus is showing us in this story. When the shepherd pursues the lost sheep, he risks everything. He risked bankruptcy. He risked becoming poor and a beggar because back then um, they, the currency wasn't like today. they didn't have like Bitcoin <laughs> you know they didn't have uh, uh, credit cards right? So how did men and, and, and women measure wealth back then? your livestock, right? your livestock. So if I'm trying to marry up. I count a sheep. Alright? <laughs> and if I try to marry up, I'm like, okay, 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 okay she, got, she got this many sheep, but she got that many sheep, right? This cat had a hundred sheep. Now I don't know about you, but if I have a hundred sheep and I lose one, I'm alright. <laughs> I'm, I'm still feeling good about myself, alright? I'm still playing with house money. But this shepherd said no. I have to go after the sheep because it's mine. It's mine. There's not a square, there's not, a, there's not any square footage of this earth that God doesn't look at and say, mine. And that's including you. Mine. He went after the sheep, and it wasn't less valuable because it was lost, or more valuable because it was lost. It was valuable because the shepherd said, "Mine, mine." You know, I used to run away from. I used to run away, uh, run away from, from my house. Be, you know, like not come home. My brother has run away from the house, and my father had to go look for us. You know, my father didn't look for any other kids. <laughs> he only looked for us. You know why he looked for us? He didn't look for other kids on milk cartons. <laughs> he didn't look for strangers on milk cartons, right? That'd be weird. He only looked for us. Cause no matter how wretched and filthy we were, he said, Mine. Udi sheki. Udi. Right? Mine. It's mine. And that's what the shepherd saw. the lost sheep not how much damage it was causing or financial burden all he saw was that this sheep is mine it belongs to me and it cannot help itself it is helpless only I can save this sheep only I can rescue this sheep You know, we hear this word grace quite often. There's a rapper named Shaolin, and he broke down grace in an acronym, G-R-A-C-E. And he said, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Your righteousness comes through grace. God's God's righteousness or God's riches at Christ's expense. Right. it was expensive it was costly it was an inordinate amount of time and energy and money to find this sheep but the shepherd pursued it and you know when people heard this parable you know what they said who does that that's a common phrase today, right? It's a common inquiry today. When you, when you hear about some like wild story, the, like, like, it's just like, that's bananas, right? Who does that? That's how people felt and responded to this parable. They heard about the shepherd looking for sheep. Yes, it's a fictional story, it's a parable, and they were appalled, they were shocked, and they said, who does that? Who does that? My father and I, uh, many years ago, we had a heart-to-heart. And this is after I became a Christian, after I became a pastor. Unfortunately, my brother uh, was still on the streets, and he was, still, um, he, he was still in the fast lane, you could say. And I, I I feel horrible admitting that I did this. But one time I told my dad, you need to give up on him. You need to let go. You gotta stop saving him. You gotta stop bailing him out. My father told me one night, he said, you know, he kinda he gave me like a like a Korean parable or something. And and, and he said to me, uh, he said something like, you know. Um, If a a father has 10 children, which child do you think he will love the most? And I quipped, uh, I guess, the smartest one, the prettiest one, the most good. And he said, no, you're wrong. He said, perhaps secretly... The father will love the most broken child. He will love the most wayward child, the one that is incorrigible and reckless. But that's what the word prodigal means, right? To waste extravagantly. He said he will, he will love the prodigal. If the father had ten children, he will love the prodigal the most. And, he, and I said, Why? My dad said, because he has spent the most time thinking about him or her. He has spent the most money on him or her. And he didn't say this because he's not a Christian, but if he were a Christian, he would say, and he has praised, he has spent the most time praying for him or her. Praying for him or her. I'm sharing all this with you guys because I want you to understand how much God loves you. In the beauty of the gospel, the story of the cross shows us that God doesn't love you because you walked down an aisle. God doesn't love you because you prayed a prayer. God doesn't love you because you repented well. God doesn't love you because you went to a mission trip or you're on the praise team or you're a pastor. God loves you according to this parable, you know why God loves you? Because he felt like it. Because he can. God doesn't save you because you give him permission. He saves you because he's God. There's a vast difference in that. For instance, my wife has never tried to trick me or trap me like this, but pretend my wife and I are sitting in our living room and she says to me, Baby, why you love me? And I say, like a foolish man, because uh, you're fine. <laughs> you fine, baby. you fine. And she said, hmm. She'll say, hmm, really? I said, yeah, because you're fine. And then, she'll, and then uh, yeah, she's brighter than me, so she'll say, what if I'm not fine anymore? See, my, my wife... Would under, hypothetically, she would understand something, that that's conditional love. See, I have a right to stop loving her if she's not fine anymore. If she's not fine or smart or brilliant or musical or creative, then the contract is nullified. Right? It's broken. See, God doesn't love you because you're really, really lost or you've been found the whole time, he loves you. He loves you. Just because. Because he felt like it. If he doesn't, if our salvation is not due to the undeserved love of God, because the cause of salvation is the undeserved love of God, right? If it's not based on the undeserved, unconditional love of God, then we are in trouble. John MacArthur once said that if I could lose my salvation, I would. Woof! Right? If I could lose my salvation, I would. Because I didn't find Jesus. Cause a lot of testimonies found, sound like I found Jesus, right? No. Nobody was looking for Jesus. Jesus was looking for us. Last night in Genesis 3, Adam hid and God saw. Man hides and God seeks. Where are you? Who told you you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? No, when you study the scriptures over and over, it is man that runs from God It is God who pursues us relentlessly. Right? Even David says in Psalm 23, verse 6, Certainly goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you know what? David said that when he was homeless. (laughs) You alright, Jeannie? (laughs) So I want you guys to understand. That if you base your salvation on anything but the pursuit and the work and the everlasting and unmitigated love of God, then your salvation is not really based on Christ. It is based on something else. And therefore, you are deceived. And your repentance, of course, nobody's repentance is perfect. Nobody's repentance is sufficient. But... It is not your prayer that saves you. It is not a pastor. It is not simply church membership. What It is Christ. It is Christ. It is Christ. It is Christ that saves us. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. There is no greater sin than not to see your need of Christ. There is no greater sin than not to see your need of Christ. There is nothing more abhorrent to God than that men and women should think that anything about them is sufficient to commend them to God. There is no greater sin than to refuse the Son of God and His sacrificial atoning death. Guys, look at uh, the pursuit of this shepherd he doesn't say, that's what you get, you didn't listen, because that's how, how my mom and dad treated me, right? Oh, you didn't study, and you go to community college, that's what you get, <laughs> right? You, 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 you want to eat McDonald's all day, right? You want to eat McDonald's all day? You gain weight? You piggy? That's what you get, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's how parents talk to you, right? <laughs> you know, Deji, right? that's what you get. Right? But look, look at the grace of God. The heavens do not shout down to the lost. That's what you get. Right? Oh, you sleep around a lot. You have a bad reputation. That's what you get. You do drugs so you're homeless. You're on the street. That's what you get. No mercy. No grace. God's the grace of God is rude. It's rude. The grace of God is ruthless. It is unruly and it is unpredictable and uncontrollable. You know why? Cuz God does not love us on our terms. God loves us on his terms. Did you guys hear that? A lot of us struggle with this. You say God I'm not going to accept your love. I'm not going to receive your love tonight because I'm not worthy. You know, um, Apostle Peter experienced something like that during the fishing uh, uh, narrative. Oh, away from me, Master! I am not worthy. Right? Peter says something like that to Jesus, and so we—it's all pride. All right, what is pride? God forgiveness. Right, humility is self forgetfulness and God remembrance. And God, I just want you guys to remember, I just want you to think through that God does not love you on your terms. I am guilty of this. I tell God to love me on my terms. But the story of this parable is a shepherd who loves the sheep on his terms. He is a good shepherd. Jesus says in John 10: I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. And Jesus went the full distance. He, went, he, he laid it all down. He went all in. He paid the price. I want to close uh, with this last story, and then we can enter some time of prayer. I just want to share something personal about my life regarding this parable and the precious love of Christ. You know, when I was in middle school, Uh, something happened that wrecked my home. Um, You know, my mother uh, is a wonderful mom, um, but I guess she was uh, a tough wife. And so my mom and and my dad um, had a lot of strife, and there was turmoil between them. And it got so bad and so messed up that my mother cheated on my father he he, he, uh, he left him for another man. And she carried my brother and I in her womb for 10 months. And she just, deserted. she abandoned us one day. I remember the day I came home. I came off, I, I left, I, you know, I'm a latchkey kid, remember? And I, I got off the school bus and I, I let myself in. And all her stuff was gone. And I'm not, I'm not here to to keep criticizing Korean culture. I'm just here to sit, explain something about Korean culture. You know, it, it's, it's it's actually okay for the husband to cheat in Korean culture, right? It is. It's like it's like it's almost sometimes it's a given, right? Depending on where you're from or what neighborhood you're from or how you grow up. Like in the Korean culture, it's like it's it's okay. It's like it's acceptable for the husband to cheat. But it's never okay for the wife to cheat. She's discardable. Because she's a second class citizen, right? It's a very chauvinistic uh, culture. So when my mother cheated on my father, my father is the youngest of seven children. And all of his brothers and sisters um, told him to move on and find a new wife. My, my, my brother and I would, would tell people we don't have a mother. Nobody believed us, because how else would we be here? <laughs> right? We don't have a mom, right? Like, sure. Right. But my brother and I made a pact. Mom does not exist out of sight, out of mind. She is dead to us. Right. So we try to exist and proceed uh, like that. of course it doesn't work. Um, Fast forward uh, a couple months, even a year, and all of a sudden I notice uh, that my father is not home as often as he used to be. And I wonder what he was doing. You know what my father was doing? He went after my mom. He won her back. But do you know what it cost him? To get my mother back in a Korean community, he lost everything. I don't mean financially. He he, he lost face. He lost his dignity. He became the village idiot. Everybody talked behind his back. What a fool. What a buffoon. What an idiot. What an imbecile. Who does that? Who does that? Right? Yeah, wives take cheating husband back. But a husband taking a cheating wife back? Who does that? But this is what I remember most vividly about my mother's return home. I wasn't happy. I was angry. I was pissed. My brother was pissed. My aunt and uncle were furious. Everybody was mad. But Only my father was happy. Only he sang. Only he had a sparkle, a delight in his eyes. I want you to understand something about this story. When the shepherd calls all his friends and says, come rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. If you read the other two parables after that one very carefully, I think you can use your sanctified imagination and guess that nobody came to that party. Nobody wanted to celebrate a dropout. You only go to graduation for the graduates. There's no graduation for the dropouts. There's no celebration for the, or sometimes there is, but usually they only celebrate the Super Bowl winner. They do not throw a parade for the Super Bowl loser or the last place team. Who throws a parade for the last place team? Who? Nobody, who does that? Nobody's coming to that party. And when my mom came home, nobody rejoiced. Nobody celebrated. Nobody smiled. Everybody was angry. Because it, scand- it, it was scandalous. It was a scandal. Do you know what defines us tonight? It is not how lost we are. It is not how lost we were. It is not, our, it is not how churched we are. Our worst mistakes do not define us and neither do our grandest achievements. What defines the shepherd, the sheep, now and forevermore, is the joy of the shepherd. The joy of the shepherd defines the sheep. My friends, what defines you tonight? Is it your spiritual accolades or your spiritual record or pedigree or is it what defines you tonight is what that you're not as soiled as other people I don't know what defines you tonight but if it's not the joy of the Lord you cannot have assurance of salvation and unless you have assurance of salvation unless you know how radically committed God is to your holiness and to your well-being, you cannot radically obey God. You will never be able to do the right thing when it really counts. The cross shows us tonight that no matter how lost you get, God will never regret dying for you. Oh, that's so sweet. No matter how lost I get, No matter how much I wander from the flock, Jesus will come looking for me again. Whoever the Father has chosen and Christ has died for are His. He will never regret loving you, dying for you. Let's bow our heads. And consider how deep the Father loves us, how deep His love is for us. I know it's a tough message to hear. That you did not look for God, you would never look for God. That's why John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, He gave. His one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I don't know what your testimony is, I don't know what your narrative is, but the gospel says you wouldn't dare look for God. The gospel shows us that we actually hate God. The Bible says to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. But we have loved everything more than God, which equates into hating God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and with all our mind. You might look at me tonight and say, Hey, Pastor, that's not me. You're not talking about me. I never hated God. Read your Bible. We did not find God. God found us in our darkest. He loved us in the dark. The kingdom of God is a party. It celebrates those who are sinners. It celebrates those who believe that they are enemies of the cross, that they were in the crowd when Pilate said, what shall we do? was this guy, Jesus. We believe that we shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You may say, I've never said that. But when you think about the movies and the music and the entertainment, we saturate ourselves with those lyrics, those things, Quite often, or very frequently are saying, we hate God. We, we don't care that Jesus was nailed to the cross because of these sins. We will enjoy them, and we will glorify them, and we will make much of them. The theme is true righteousness, right? Do you know what true righteousness will look like in your life if you are a Christian? You will go after the lost sheep. You will love mercy and do justice. You will forgive your enemies. You will pray for those who hurt you. You will turn your cheek. And you will go the extra mile. That is righteousness according to Christ. Maybe it's not this church, but many churches I work with shun the most lost We still believe in the old matrix, the old paradigm, that you are good and useful, or you are bad and useless. The gospel says otherwise. That nobody is good, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. As we enter into a time of prayer, I just want you to think through and think upon that Jesus is Savior. Maybe it's lost its luster and, the, and it's lost its, its richness. This word, Savior. What did God save me from? What did God save me into? What did God save me for? To come to church once a week? For a couple hours and then go out and eat? The kingdom of God is a party. A party all about Christ. Christianity is not about you, Christianity is not about me, Christianity is about Christ. biggest problem I see in our personal testimonies, it's about us it's not even about Christ I barely hear Jesus in a lot of testimonies it's about how bad we were or how messed up I I am but it's not about what a savior Jesus is do you want to go to heaven? Of course you do. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But not everybody wants to see God when they get there. My friends, if you don't enjoy Jesus and you don't enjoy his righteousness, then please don't come to heaven. You would not like it there. You know why eternity lasts forever? Not because it should or it ought to. Because that's how long it's going to take to understand the love of Christ. That's how long it's going to take to comprehend the glories of the gospel. It's going to take forever. If you're not in all of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. That's okay. Let's repent of that. Remember, Jesus repented in our place. So our repentance doesn't have to be good or or, it doesn't even have to be average. It can be mediocre. It can be weak. That's okay. Because Jesus repented perfectly in my place. So come in the name of Jesus. Share. Confess. Radically. Have radical honesty with God tonight. Maybe confess that, you know what, Jesus? I don't really think you, you saved me. Like, I think I contributed to my salvation even though the Bible tells me I contributed nothing to my salvation but the sin that made it necessary, even though the Bible says I contributed nothing to the work of Jesus Christ but the sin that nailed him to the cross, there's still parts of me that feel like I did something to make you love me. But Jesus doesn't love you because you're a virgin. Jesus doesn't love you because you're good. Jesus loves you because he felt like it. And that hurts our ego. and hurts our pride. But the the grace of God is rude. (laughs) It's very rude. doesn't ask for permission to love you. The grace of God does not ask for permission to save you. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. So God, we come to you tonight, asking you to save us from your wrath to come. We ask you to save us from ourselves, because I am my own worst enemy at times. We ask that you save us from our self-righteousness and our unrighteousness alike, for they both separate us from Christ. Lord, we turn to you. And like Apostle Paul says, we want to say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh God, even though we are weak and pitiful, we trust in who you are tonight. You are a God that is slow to anger, abounding in love. Are God that tells us that your kindness leads us to repentance. That you are the only one that can actually send the body and the soul to hell. You are the only one that can condemn us. But, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we are forgiven and freed. For good, there is no double jeopardy in the good news of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. I'm just going to hand it over to your your leaders and to the praise team. Uh, I am available if you would like to talk or pray. But for the meantime, I ask that you pray in your own. If you need to find a, a quiet place to just kneel. And, and, or, or or lay prostrate and just go before God and repent ask the Holy Spirit to change your mind about your sins and about um, about what is at the center of your life thank you guys so much it's been such a joy to share his joy with you oh how he loves you he loves you so much but, it's, it's not a, but he doesn't love you because of you he loves you for his own glory he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake that's our God continue to pray